0: Uniformity with God's Will, by St. Alphonsus de Liguori, on excellence of this virtue. Perfection is founded entirely on the love of God. Charity is the bond of perfection. And perfect love of God means the complete union of our will with God's. The principal effect of love is so to unite the wills of those who love each other as to make them will the same things. It follows, then, that the more one unites his will with the divine will, the greater will be his love of God. Mortification, meditation, receiving Holy Communion, acts of fraternal charity, are all certainly pleasing to God, but only when they are in accordance with His will. When they do not accord with God's will, He not only finds no pleasure in them, but He even rejects them utterly and punishes them. To illustrate, a man has two servants. One works unremittingly all day long, but according to his own devices. The other conceivably works less, but he does do what he is told. This latter, of course, is going to find favour in the eyes of his master. The other will not. Now in applying this example we may ask, why should we perform actions for God's glory if they are not going to be acceptable to Him? God does not want sacrifices. The prophet Samuel told King Saul, but he does want obedience to his will. Doth the Lord desire holocausts and victims, and not rather that the voice of the Lord should be obeyed? For obedience is better than sacrifices, and to hearken rather than to offer the fat of rams. Because it is like the sin of witchcraft to rebel, And like the crime of idolatry to refuse to obey. The man who follows his own will independently of God's is guilty of a kind of idolatry. Instead of adoring God's will, he in a certain sense adores his own. The greatest glory we can give to God is to do His will in everything. Our Redeemer came on earth to glorify His heavenly Father and to teach us by His example how to do the same. St. Paul represents him saying to his eternal Father, Sacrifice and oblation thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast fitted to me. Then said I, Behold, I come to do thy will, O God. Thou hast refused the victims offered thee by man. Thou dost will that I sacrifice my body to thee. Behold me ready to do thy will. Our Lord frequently declared that He had come on earth not to do His own will, but solely that of His Father. I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. He spoke in the same strain in the garden when He went forth to meet His enemies who had come to seize Him and to lead Him to death. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father hath given me commandment, so do I, arise and let us go hence. Furthermore he said he would recognize as his brother, him who would do his will. Whosoever shall do the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother. To do God's will, this was the goal upon which the saints constantly fixed their gaze. They were fully persuaded that in this consists the entire perfection of the soul. Blessed Henry Suso used to say, It is not God's will that we should abound in spiritual delights, but that in all things we should submit to His holy will. Those who give themselves to prayer, says St. Teresa, should concentrate solely on this, the conformity of their wills with the divine will. They should be convinced that this constitutes their highest perfection. The more fully they practice this, the greater the gifts they will receive from God, and the greater the progress they will make in the interior life. A certain Dominican nun was vouchsafed a vision of heaven one day. She recognized there some person she had known during their mortal life on earth. It was told her these souls were raised to the sublime heights of the seraphs on account of the uniformity of their wills with that of God's during their lifetime here on earth. Blessed Henry Suso mentioned above said of himself, I would rather be the vilest worm on earth by God's will than be a seraph by my own. During our sojourn in this world we should learn from the saints now in heaven how to love God. The pure and perfect love of God they enjoy there consists in uniting themselves perfectly to His will. It would be the greatest delight of the seraphs to pile up sand on the seashore, or to pull weeds in a garden for all eternity if they found out such was God's will. Our Lord Himself teaches us to ask to do the will of God on earth as the saints do it in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because David fulfilled all his wishes, God called him a man after his own heart. I have found David, a man according to my own heart, Who shall do all my wills. David was always ready to embrace the divine will, as he frequently protested, My heart is ready, O God, my heart is ready. He asked God for one thing alone, to teach him to do his will. Teach me to do thy will. A single act of uniformity with the divine will suffices to make a saint. Behold, while Saul was persecuting the church, God enlightened him and converted him. What does Saul do? What does he say? Nothing else but to offer himself to do God's will. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? In return the Lord calls him a vessel of election and an apostle of the Gentiles. This man is to me a vessel of election, to carry my name before the Gentiles. Absolutely true. Because he who gives his will to God gives him everything. He who gives his goods in alms, his blood in scourgings, his food in fasting, gives God what he has. But he who gives God his will, gives himself, gives everything he is. Such a one can say, Though I am poor, Lord, I give thee all I possess. But when I say, I give thee my will, I have nothing left to give thee. This is just what God does require of us. My son, give me thy heart. St. Augustine's comment is, There is nothing more pleasing we can offer God than to say to him, Possess thyself of us. We cannot offer God anything more pleasing than to say, Take us, Lord, we give thee our entire will. Only let us know thy will, and we will carry it out. If we would completely rejoice the heart of God, let us strive in all things to conform ourselves to His divine will. Let us not only strive to conform ourselves, but also to unite ourselves to whatever dispositions God makes of us. Conformity signifies that we join our wills to the will of God. Uniformity means more. It means that we make one will of God's will and ours, so that we will only what God wills, that God's will alone is our will. This is the summit of perfection, and to it we should always aspire. This should be the goal of all our works, desires, meditations, and prayers. To this end, we should always invoke the aid of our holy patrons, our guardian angels, and above all, of our Mother Mary, the most perfect of all the saints, because she most perfectly embraced the Divine Will. UNIFORMITY IN ALL THINGS The essence of perfection is to embrace the will of God in all things, prosperous or adverse. In prosperity even sinners find it easy to unite themselves to the Divine Will but it takes saints to unite themselves to God's will when things go wrong and are painful to self-love. Our conduct in such instances is the measure of our love of God. St. John of Avila used to say, One blessed be God, in times of adversity, is worth more than a thousand acts of gratitude in times of prosperity. Furthermore, we must unite ourselves to God's will not only in things that come to us directly from His hands, such as sickness, desolation, poverty, death of relatives, but likewise in those we suffer from man, for example, contempt, injustice, loss of reputation, loss of temporal goods, and all kinds of persecution. On these occasions we must remember that whilst God did not will the sin, He does will our humiliation our poverty, or our mortification, as the case may be. It is certain, and of faith, that whatever happens, happens by the will of God. I am the Lord, forming the light and creating the darkness, making peace and creating evil. From God comes all these things, good as well as evil. We call adversities evil. Actually, they are good and meritorious when we receive them as coming from God's hands. Shall there be evil in a city which the Lord hath not done? Good things and evil, life and death, poverty and riches, are from God. It is true, when one offends us unjustly, God does not will his sin, nor does he concur in a sinner's bad will. But God does in a general way concur in the material action by which such a one strikes us, robs us, or does us an injury, so that God certainly wills the offence we suffer, and it comes to us from His hands. Thus the Lord told David, He would be the author of those things he would suffer at the hands of Absalom. I will raise up evils against thee out of thy own house, and I will take thy wives before thy face and give them to thy neighbour. Hence, too, God told the Jews that in punishment for their sins He would send the Assyrians to plunder them and spread destruction among them. The Assyrian is the rod and staff of my anger. I will send him to take away the spoils. Assyrian wickedness served as God's scourge for the Hebrews, is St. Augustine's comment on this text. And our Lord Himself told St. Peter that His sacred passion came not so much from man, As from his father. The chalice which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? When the messenger came to announce to Job that the Sabians had plundered his goods and slain his children, he said, The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. He did not say, The Lord hath given me my children and my possessions, and the Sabians have taken them away. He realized that adversity had come upon him by the will of God. Therefore he added, As it hath pleased the Lord, so it is done. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We must not therefore consider the afflictions that come upon us as happening by chance, or solely from the malice of men. We should be convinced that what happens, happens by the will of God. Apropos of this, it is related that two martyrs, Epictetus and Athel, being put to the torture by having their bodies raked with iron hooks and burnt with flaming torches, kept repeating, Work thy will upon us, O Lord. Arrived at the place of execution, they exclaimed, Eternal Lord, be thou blessed in that thy will has been entirely accomplished in us. Caesarius points up what we have been saying by offering this incident in the life of a certain monk. Externally, his religious observance was the same as that of the other monks. But he had attained such sanctity that the mere touch of his garments healed the sick. Marvelling at these deeds, since his life was no more exemplary than the lives of the other monks, the superior asked him one day, what was the cause of these miracles? He replied that he too was mystified, and was at a loss how to account for such happenings. What devotions do you practice? asked the abbot. He answered that there was little or nothing special that he did, beyond making a great deal of willing only what God willed, and that God had given him the grace of abandoning his will totally to the will of God. Prosperity does not lift me up, nor adversity cast me down, added the monk. I direct all my prayers to the end that God's will may be done fully in me and by me. That raid that our enemies made against the monastery the other day, in which our stores were plundered, our granaries put to the torch, and our cattle driven off, did not this misfortune cause you any resentment, queried the abbot? No father, came the reply. On the contrary, I return thanks to God, as is my custom in such circumstances fully persuaded that God does all things, or permits all that happens, for His glory and for our greater good. Thus I am always at peace, no matter what happens. Seeing such uniformity with the will of God, the abbot no longer wondered why the monk worked so many miracles. On Happiness Deriving from Perfect Uniformity Acting according to this pattern, one not only becomes holy, but also enjoys perpetual serenity in his life. Alphonsus the Great, King of Aragon, being asked one day whom he considered the happiest person in the world, answered, He who abandons himself to the will of God, and accepts all things, prosperous and adverse, as coming from his hands. To those that love God all things work together unto good, Those who love God are always happy because their whole happiness is to fulfill, even in adversity, the will of God. Afflictions do not mar their serenity, because, by accepting misfortune, they know they give pleasure to their beloved Lord. Whatever shall befall the just man, it shall not make him sad. Indeed, what can be more satisfactory to a person than to experience the fulfillment of all his desires? This is the happy lot of a man who wills only what God wills, because everything that happens, save sin, happens through the will of God. There is a story to this effect in the lives of the fathers about a farmer whose crops were more plentiful than those of his neighbors. On being asked how this happened with such unvarying regularity, he said he was not surprised because he always had the kind of weather he wanted. He was asked to explain He said, It is so because I want whatever kind of weather God wants, and because I do He gives me the harvests I want. If souls resigned to God's will are humiliated, says Salvian, they want to be humiliated. If they are poor, they want to be poor. In short, whatever happens is acceptable to them, hence they are truly at peace in this life. In cold and heat, in rain and wind, The soul united to God says, I want it to be warm, to be cold, windy, to rain, because God wills it. This is the beautiful freedom of the sons of God, and it is worth vastly more than all the rank and distinction of blood and birth, more than all the kingdoms in the world. This is the abiding peace which in the experience of the saints surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all pleasures, rising from gratification of the senses, from social gatherings, banquets, and other worldly amusements. Vain and deceiving as they are, they captivate the senses for the time being, but bring no lasting contentment. Rather they afflict man in the depth of his soul, where alone true peace can reside. Solomon, who tasted to the fullness all the pleasures of the world and found them bitter, Voiced his disillusionment thus. But this also is vanity and vexation of spirit. A fool, says the Holy Spirit, is changed as the moon, but a holy man continueth in wisdom as the sun. The fool, that is the sinner, is as changeable as the moon, which today waxes and tomorrow wanes. Today he laughs, tomorrow he cries. Today he is meek as a lamb, tomorrow cross as a bear. Why? Because his peace of mind depends on the prosperity or the adversity he meets. He changes with the changes in the things that happen to him. The just man is like the sun, constant in his serenity, no matter what betides him. His calmness of soul is founded on his union with the will of God. Hence he enjoys unruffled peace. This is the peace promised by the angel of the nativity, and on earth peace to men of good will. Who are these men of good will, if not those whose wills are united to the infinitely good and perfect will of God, the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God? By uniting themselves to the divine will, the saints have enjoyed paradise by anticipation in this life accustoming themselves to receive all things from the hands of God, says St. Dorotheus, the men of old maintained continual serenity of soul. St. Mary Magdalene of Pasi derived such consolation at hearing the words Will of God that she usually fell into an ecstasy of love. The instances of jangling irritation that are bound to arise will not fail to make surface impact on the senses. This, however, will be experienced only in the inferior part of the soul. In the superior part will reign peace and tranquility as long as our will remains united with God's. Our Lord assured His apostles, Your joy no man shall take from you. Your joy shall be full. He who unites his will to God's experiences a full and lasting joy, full because he has what he wants as was explained above, lasting because no one can take his joy from him, since no one can prevent what God wills from happening. The devout father John Toller relates this personal experience. For years he had prayed God to send him someone who would teach him the real spiritual life. One day at prayer he heard a voice saying, Go to such and such a church and you will have the answer to your prayers. He went, and at the door of the church he found a beggar, barefooted and in rags. He greeted the mendicant, saying, Good day, my friend. Thank you, sir, for your good wishes, but I do not recall ever having had a bad day. Then certainly God has given you a very happy life. That is very true, sir. I have never been unhappy. In saying this I am not making any rash statement either. This is the reason. When I have nothing to eat, I give thanks to God. When it rains or snows, I bless God's providence. When someone insults me, drives me away, or otherwise mistreats me, I give glory to God. I said I've never had an unhappy day, and it's the truth, because I am accustomed to will unreservedly what God wills. Whatever happens to me, sweet or bitter, I gladly receive from His hands as what is best for me hence my unvarying happiness. Where did you find God? I found Him where I left creatures. Who are you, anyway? I am a king. And where is your kingdom? In my soul, where everything is in good order, where the passions obey reason, and reason obeys God. How have you come to such a state of perfection? By silence. I practice silence towards men, while I cultivate the habit of speaking with God. Conversing with God is the way I found and maintain my peace of soul. Union with God brought this poor beggar to the very heights of perfection. In his poverty he was richer than the mightiest monarch. In his sufferings he was vastly happier than worldlings amid their worldly delights. God wills our good. Oh, the supreme folly of those who resist the divine will. In God's providence no one can escape hardship. Who resisteth his will? A person who rails at God in adversity suffers without merit. Moreover, by his lack of resignation, he adds to his punishment in the next life and experiences greater disquietude of mind in this life. Who resisteth him, and hath had peace? The screaming rage of the sick man in his pain, the whining complaints of the poor man in his destitution. What will they avail these people, except increase their unhappiness, and bring them no relief? Little man, says St. Augustine, grow up. What are you seeking in your search for happiness? Seek the one good that embraces all others. Whom do you seek, friend, if you seek not God? Seek Him, find Him, cleave to Him, bind your will to His with bands of steel, and you will live always at peace in this life and in the next. God wills only our good. God loves us more than anybody else can or does love us. His will is that no one should lose his soul, that everyone should save and sanctify his soul not willing that any should perish, but that all should return to penance. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God has made the attainment of our happiness His glory, since He is by His nature infinite goodness, and since, as St. Leo says, goodness is diffusive of itself, God has a supreme desire to make us sharers of His goods and of His happiness. If then He sends us suffering in this life, it is for our own good. All things work together unto good. Even chastisements come to us, not to crush us, but to make us mend our ways and save our souls. Let us believe that these scourges of the Lord have happened for our amendment and not for our destruction. God surrounds us with His loving care lest we suffer eternal damnation. O Lord, thou hast crowned us as with a shield of thy good will. He is most solicitous for our welfare. The Lord is solicitous for me. What can God deny us when he has given us his own son? He that spared not even his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how hath he not also with him given us all things? Therefore, we should most confidently abandon ourselves to all the dispositions of divine providence, since they are for our own good. In all that happens to us, let us say, In peace, in the self same I will sleep and I will rest, because thou, O Lord, hast singularly settled me in hope. Let us place ourselves unreservedly in his hands, because he will not fail to have care of us, casting all your care upon him, for he hath care of you. Let us keep God in our thoughts and carry out his will, and he will think of us and of our welfare. Our Lord said to St. Catherine of Siena, Daughter, think of me, and I will always think of you. Let us often repeat with the spouse in the canticle, My beloved to me, and I to him. St. Niles, Abbot used to say that our petition should be, not that our wishes be done, but that God's holy will should be fulfilled in us and by us. When therefore something adverse happens to us, let us accept it from his hands, not only patiently, but even with gladness, as did the apostles, who went from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. What greater consolation can come to a soul than to know that by patiently bearing some tribulation it gives God the greatest pleasure in its power? Spiritual writers tell us that though the desire of certain souls to please God by their sufferings is acceptable to Him, still more pleasing to Him is the union of certain others with His will, so that their will is neither to rejoice nor to suffer. But to hold themselves completely amenable to His will, and they desire only that His holy will be fulfilled. If, devout soul, it is your will to please God and live a life of serenity in this world, unite yourself always and in all things to the divine will. Reflect that all the sins of your past wicked life happened because you wandered from the path of God's will. For the future, Embrace God's good pleasure, and say to Him in every happening, Yea, Father, for so it hath seemed good in thy sight. When anything disagreeable happens, remember it comes from God, and say at once, This comes from God, and be at peace. I was dumb, and opened not my mouth, because thou hast done it. Lord, since thou hast done this, I will be silent and accept it. Direct all your thoughts and prayers to this end, to beg God constantly in meditation, communion, and visits to the Blessed Sacrament that He help you accomplish His holy will. Form the habit of offering yourself frequently to God by saying, My God, behold me in thy presence, do with me in all that I have as thou pleasest. This is the constant practice of St. Teresa. At least fifty times a day she offered herself to God, placing herself at His entire disposition and good pleasure. How fortunate you, kind reader, if you thus act too! You will surely become a saint. Your life will be calm and peaceful. Your death will be happy. At death, all our hope of salvation will come from the testimony of our conscience as to whether or not we are dying resigned to God's will, If during life we have embraced everything as coming from God's hands, and if at death we embrace death in fulfillment of God's holy will, we shall certainly save our souls and die the death of saints. Let us then abandon everything to God's good pleasure, because being infinitely wise, He knows what is best for us. And being all good and all loving, having given His life for us, He wills what is best for us. Let us, as St. Basil counsels us, rest secure in the conviction that beyond the possibility of a doubt, God works to affect our welfare infinitely better than we could ever hope to accomplish or desire it ourselves. Let us now take up in a practical way the consideration of those matters in which we should unite ourselves to God's will. In external matters, In times of great heat, cold or rain, in times of famine, epidemics, and similar occasions, we should refrain from expressions like these, what unbearable heat, what piercing cold, what a tragedy. In these instances we should avoid expressions indicating oppositions to God's will. We should want things to be just as they are, because it is God who thus disposes them. An incident in point would be this one, Late one night, St. Francis Borgia arrived unexpectedly at a Jesuit house in a snowstorm. He knocked and knocked on the door, but all to no purpose, because the community being asleep no one heard him. When morning came, all were embarrassed for the discomfort he had experienced by having had to spend the night in the open. The saint, however, said he had enjoyed the greatest consolation during those long hours of the night by imagining that he saw our Lord up in the sky dropping the snowflakes down upon him. In personal matters, in matters that affect us, let us acquiesce in God's will. For example, in hunger, thirst, poverty, desolation, loss of reputation, let us always say, Do thou build up or tear down, O Lord, as seems good in thy sight? I am content. I wish only what thou dost wish. Thus, too, says Rodriguez, should we act when the devil proposes certain hypothetical cases to us in order to wrest a sinful consent from us or at least to cause us to be interiorly disturbed. For example, what would you say or what would you do if someone were to say or do such and such a thing to you? Let us dismiss the temptation by saying, by God's grace. I would say or do what God would want me to say or do. Thus we shall free ourselves from imperfection and harassment. Let us not lament if we suffer from some natural defect of body or mind, from poor memory, slowness of understanding, little ability, lameness, or general bad health. What claim have we, or what obligation is God under? to give us a more brilliant mind or a more robust body? Who has ever offered a gift and then lays down the conditions upon which he will accept it? Let us thank God for what in His pure goodness He has given us, and let us be content too with the manner in which He has given it to us. Who knows, perhaps if God had given us greater talent, better health, a more personable appearance, we might have lost our souls. Great talent and knowledge have caused many to be puffed up with the idea of their own importance, and in their pride they have despised others. How easily those who have these gifts fall into grave danger to their salvation! How many, on account of physical beauty or robust health, have plunged headlong into a life of debauchery? How many, on the contrary, who by reason of poverty, infirmity or physical deformity, have become saints and have saved their souls, who, given health, wealth, or physical attractiveness, had else lost their souls. Let us then be content with what God has given us. But one thing is necessary, and it is not beauty, not health, not talent. It is the salvation of our immortal souls. It is especially necessary that we be resigned in corporal infirmities. We should willingly embrace them in the manner and for the length of time that God wills. We ought to make use of the ordinary remedies in time of sickness, such as God's will, but if they are not effective, let us unite ourselves to God's will, and this will be better for us than would be our restoration to health. Let us say, Lord, I wish neither to be well nor to remain sick, I want only what thou wilt. Certainly it is more virtuous not to repine in times of painful illness. Still in all, when our sufferings are excessive, it is not wrong to let our friends know what we are enduring, and also to ask God to free us from our sufferings. Let it be understood, however, that the sufferings here referred to are actually excessive. It often happens at some, on the occasion of a slight illness or even a slight indisposition, want the whole world to stand still and sympathize with them in their illness. But where it is a case of real suffering, we have the example of our Lord, who at the approach of His bitter passion made known His state of soul to His disciples, saying, My soul is sorrowful even unto death, and besought His Eternal Father to deliver Him from it. Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass from me. But our Lord likewise taught us what we should do when we have made such a petition, when he added, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. How childish! The pretense of those who protest they wish for health not to escape suffering, but to serve our Lord better by being able to observe their rule, to serve the community, to go to church, receive communion, do penance, study, work for souls in the confessional and pulpit. Devout soul, tell me, why do you desire to do these things? To please God? Why then search any further to please God, when you are sure God does not wish these prayers, communions, penances, or studies, but He does wish that you suffer patiently this sickness He sends you? Unite then your sufferings to those of our Lord. But you say, I do not want to be sick, for then I am a useless, a burden to my order, to my monastery. But if you are united to and resigned to God's will, you will realize that your superiors are likewise resigned to the dispositions of divine providence, and that they recognize the fact that you are a burden not through indolence, but by the will of God. Ah, how often these desires and these laments are born, not of the love of God, but of the love of self. How many of them are so many pretexts for fleeing the will of God? Do we want to please God? When we find ourselves confined to our sickbed, let us utter this one prayer, Thy will be done. Let us repeat it time and time again, and it will please God more than all our mortifications and devotions. There is no better way to serve God than cheerfully to embrace His holy will. St. John of Avila once wrote to a sick priest, My dear friend, do not weary yourself planning what you would do if you were well, but be content to be sick for as long as God wishes. If you are seeking to carry out God's will, what difference should it make to you whether you are sick or well? The saint was perfectly right. For God is glorified not by our works, but by our resignation to and by our union with His holy will. In this respect, St. Francis de Sales used to say, we serve God better by our sufferings than by our actions. Many times it will happen that proper medical attention or effective remedies will be lacking, or even that the doctor will not rightly diagnose our case. In such instances, we must unite ourselves to the divine will which thus disposes of our physical health. The story is told of a client of St. Thomas of Canterbury, who, being sick, went to the saint's tomb to obtain a cure. He returned home cured. But then he thought to himself, suppose it would be better for my soul's salvation if I remained sick. What point then is there in being well? In this frame of mind he went back and asked the saint to intercede with God that he grant what would be best for his eternal salvation. His illness returned, and he was perfectly content with the turn things had taken, being fully persuaded that God had thus disposed of him for his own good. There is a similar account by Suryo to the effect that a certain blind man, obtained the restoration of his sight by praying to St. Badasto, bishop. Thinking the matter over, he prayed again to his heavenly patron, but this time with the purpose that if the possession of his sight were not expedient for his soul, that his blindness should return. And that's exactly what happened. He was blind again. Therefore, in sickness, it is better that we seek neither sickness nor health, But that we abandon ourselves to the will of God so that He may dispose of us as He wishes. However, if we decide to ask for health, let us do so at least always resigned and with the proviso that our bodily health may be conducive to the health of our soul. Otherwise, our prayer will be defective and will remain unheard because our Lord does not answer prayers made without resignation to His holy will. Sickness is the acid test of spirituality, because it discloses whether our virtue is real or sham. If the soul is not agitated, does not break out in lamentations, is not feverishly restless in seeking a cure, but instead is submissive to the doctors and to superiors, is serene and tranquil, completely resigned to God's will, it is a sign that that soul is well grounded in virtue. What of the whiner who complains of lack of attention, that his sufferings are beyond endurance, that the doctor does not know his business? What of the faint-hearted soul who laments that the hand of God is too heavy upon him? This story by St. Bonaventure in His Lives of St. Francis is in point. On a certain occasion when the saint was suffering extraordinary physical pain, One of his religious meaning to sympathize with him said in his simplicity, My father, pray God that he treats you a little more gently, for his hand seems heavy upon you just now. Hearing this, St. Francis strongly resented the unhappy remark of his well-meaning brother, saying, My good brother, did I not know that what you have just said was spoken in all simplicity, without realizing the implication of your words, I should never see you again because of your rashness in passing judgment on the disposition of divine providence. Whereupon, weak and wasted as he was by his illness, he got out of bed, knelt down, kissed the floor, and prayed thus, Lord, I thank thee for the sufferings thou art sending me. Send me more, if it be thy good pleasure. My pleasure is that you afflict me and spare me not. For the fulfillment of Thy holy will is the greatest consolation of my life. On Spiritual Desolation We ought to view in the light of God's holy will the loss of persons who are helpful to us in a spiritual or material way. Pious souls often fail in this respect by not being resigned to the dispositions of God's holy will. Our sanctification comes fundamentally and essentially from God, not from spiritual directors. When God sends us a spiritual director, He wishes us to use him for our spiritual profit. But if He takes him away, He wants us to remain calm and unperturbed, and to increase our confidence in His goodness by saying to Him, Lord, Thou hast given me this help, and now Thou dost take it away. Blessed be Thy holy will. I beg thee, teach me what I must do to serve thee. In this manner, too, we should receive whatever other crosses God sends us. But, you reply, these sufferings are really punishments. The answer to that remark is, are not the punishments God sends us in this life also graces and benefits? Our offenses against God must be atoned for somehow, either in this life or in the next. Hence we should all make St. Augustine's prayer our own, Lord, hear cut, hear burn, and spare me not, but spare me an eternity. Please. Please go to side B.